Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey guys, you're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca with Joan Kelly Walker, philanthropist and TV personality. Our special guest tonight is family lawyer Leanne Townsend, partner at Browty Thorning LLP. Now, Leanne was a guest on our show back in March or April when COVID-19 had just resulted in a lockdown and a shutdown of the courts. And a lot has changed since then. Leanne tonight will be weighing in on the recent big issues surrounding children returning to school and parents divorced or otherwise disagreeing about whether they should return to the classroom or go online. Parenting schedules, spousal and child support, the rise of divorce, and more. Welcome, ladies, to the show. Thank Happy you. to be here. And we have so much to talk about. So let's get started. Um, so let's. Let's talk about the recent big issue surrounding children returning to school um, and parents, divorced or otherwise, disagreeing about whether they, they should return to the classroom or go online. Leanne, is this problem coming up a lot in your practice? Yes, it's been coming up a lot, um, you know, particularly in my practice because I deal with a lot of parents who are, you know, high conflict. So if they have something they can argue about, this is a like a prime issue. And uh, up until recently, we didn't really have any direction from the courts. So, it, you know, we're in unprecedented times. And so there wasn't like definitive answer. So parents were definitely not sure what the what uh, the solution should be. And what happens then when parents don't disagree? One parent wants one thing, another parent wants another. What happens in this case? Well, the courts are taking a very child-focused approach, which, you know, I think is what they should do. And they're looking at what's in the best interest of the child. So three cases uh, in Ontario came out in the last 10 days or so. And what the courts seem to be saying is that if one parent is saying they want the child to return to the classroom and the other is saying online, if the child doesn't have any immune-compromised uh, health issues and no one in the home does and there aren't other factors weighing against it, the courts are ruling that the child should return to the classroom. But they're looking at a whole bunch of factors, including, as you said, the health. They're also looking at mental health, mental health of the child. If the child is going to be at home and isolated from friends, is that going to affect a child's mental health negatively? They're looking at what supports are in the home. If a child is going to do online learning, can the parents properly support it? Um, and they're you know, also looking at um, what if the child is old enough to express an opinion, whether the ch- what the child would like to do. Uh, Joan, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, your your kids are a little older now, but what if your mm-hmm. kids were, were children? I mean, would you be okay with them going back to school? Yeah. Them? Well, my younger son is 18, and he, you know, he didn't get a high school grad or a prom or any of that. So now he's going to first-year university that he's been very excited about. And they're allowing the first-year students to go and live, and live in the residence at, you know, really social distance with all kinds of rules in place. So he's in, like, in an apartment-style dorm, and there's only two guys in that apartment, even though it has accommodation for five. So they're taking all the precautions. But I'm definitely concerned. Um, you know, they're doing online courses, but still, these kids are going to get together. They're going to see each other in the hallways. They're going to, you know, they're, they're going to party. Be- 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's already happening. The other kids, like he doesn't start school until the day after, to, or you know, in like a, a couple days. But some of them have already started. So, you know, I'm hearing of that. So it'll be interesting to see the timing of it and if the incidence of COVID just starts to skyrocket. So and, I'm definitely concerned. And my my neighbor, she's a school teacher. I guess she teaches grade school. And she told me that 16,000 children in Halton are not going back to school. I thought that was an alarming, like, large amount. So, Leanne, you know... I know a lot of parents are really struggling right now on top of already probably or possibly having a volatile relationship. So how do parents go about resolving this issue? Like, can they do it on their own or will they have to go to court? Well, I think the best way is always if they can, you know, negotiate something between themselves and come to a resolution, you know, within the family and amongst themselves. I think courts should always be, a last resort, and if they're not able to negotiate something themselves, then there are options like mediation, arbitration, even just retaining lawyers and having the lawyers negotiate. Because there's one of Justice Himmel in one of the court decisions that came out of Newmarket recently said, um, you know, a judge who doesn't know your children should be the last person deciding what's in their best interest. So parents really should try and, and work something out themselves. And does one parent ever get more say on this issue, and if so, under what circumstances? Well, education is um, part of the decision-making that falls under custody. So if one parent has sole custody or one parent has decision-making for education, then that parent can make whatever decision they want, um, ideally consulting the other parent, but there isn't necessarily a requirement that they do. Um, but so many parents these days have joint custody, which means joint decision-making on education. So that's why they need to come to some sort of agreement. Mm-hmm. And let's, okay, uh, let's look at university and college students right now. Um, so for many university and college students, the fall term at least is online. I think, Joan, you just mentioned your mm-hmm. It's, it's all online. I don't understand them. Why are they moving away from home just to be away well, from home? Because parents? it's something he's looked forward to, uh, like, you know, the like for all of high school. That first mm-hmm. year of university, is a, it's a really special time in a kid's life. And, you know, at 18 years old, he's a young man. He wants his independence. He wants to, you know, try something new and have that full experience. So he's, he's doing all that he can to get that experience. But it's really not normal. So, uh, Leanne, what does this mean for parenting schedules in this case? Well, it's become more complicated because, um, you know, some students like Jones' um, kids and and my son is also, he's going into second year of university. He's gone to Hamilton and is staying there even though he's online. So some students are doing that. And then there's others who are staying at home uh, until January when perhaps there's actually in-class you know, learning. So it really, the the schedules are all over the map a little bit because if the child is home, then parents are often just continuing whatever their, their previous schedule was. And the reality is when you're dealing with college age or university age students, they're going to decide where they're going to be, you know, anyway, if they want to be at one parent's house more than the other, then most likely that's what's going to happen. Um, but if they are returning to school, then, you know, then the, the, that's what's, what's happening and parents, the schedules aren't being affected at all. 
but it's really, you know, it just depends on each family and um, the dynamics and the situation with respect to online versus in-class learning. Mm-hmm. And what about, uh, you know, if it's a younger child, what about the child support? If somebody has to stay home to to be with the child while they're doing learning from home, how does that affect uh, the support? Well, it, child support is tied to the parenting schedule. So if the schedule has changed for some reason and one parent, uh, you know, the child is with one parent more than they previously were, then that could affect the amount of child support that they're entitled to. Um, The other way that child support is being affected is just, unfortunately, with COVID-19, you know, a lot of people did lose their jobs and there's been businesses shutting down and things like that. So people's income has been affected. And if someone's income has dramatically dropped, then they're not going to be able to pay the child support they were previously paying. And so that's kind of opened up a whole set of problems as well with separation agreements and prior court orders where people aren't able to afford to pay what they were paying before. And then when you factor in the the schedule because of online learning and things like that, there's just all kinds of problems that are cropping up. What a mess is COVID-19. Yeah, boy. Oh, my That's goodness. Sure. It's so surreal, isn't it, ladies? Like, I can't even believe yeah. it. Like, no, it has, it's so complicated. And it, I mean, it's, it's created a lot of work in the area of family law because there are just so many issues and it's it's a novel time so it's not like there's a lot of direction on how things should be dealt with because we've never been through something like this before yeah you can't feel anything that leanne do you feel like the stress of it all like are you more stressed out because of it uh, definitely I am. I mean, because I'm busier than I've ever been. And you take on, you can't help but take on some of the stress of your clients. And so, you know, divorce is already a stressful situation. And then you factor in that we're in unprecedented times and people are more stressed anyway because of COVID and figuring out how to stay safe and how to keep their families safe. So as as their lawyer, I can't help but feel that and take that on as well. So it's definitely more stressful. What do you do to de-stress before the break quickly? What do you do to de-stress, Leanne? Um, I don't know if I can do your job. <laughs> exercise is my big one. I have to work out every day. That's my biggest de-stressor. And you're looking fabulous, girl, by the way. You're looking amazing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and working hard. Well, we need to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about the legalities pertaining to parenting schedules during COVID-19. We'll be back. Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. We're back. I'm Laura Bilotta with Joan Kelly Walker tonight. Our special guest is family lawyer Leanne Townsend, partner at Browty Thorning LLP. We're talking about the effects of COVID-19 on family law, parenting schedules, spousal and child support, the rise of the divorce, yes, rise of divorce, and so much more. But right now, let's talk about the legalities pertaining to parenting schedules. So if a parent isn't complying with COVID-19 protocols, what options does the other parent have? Well, the first option would be to approach the other parent and, and point out to them, you know, that they're not 
complying and it's a concern and that if they don't start uh, following the precautions that have been recommended that, um, you know, you'll be getting legal advice and perhaps having to take them to court. And so hopefully that would be enough. But, you know, sometimes it's not. And so there have been cases that have been happening since the beginning um, where, you know, one parent is concerned about the whether the other parent is properly taking precautions so they bring them to court to try and change the custody or the parenting schedule order and the courts have generally wanted to see that it's not just somebody saying it there has to be some evidence um, that you can point to and it's not just you know one little thing it's maybe a pattern of behavior because unfortunately sometimes parents will you know use things uh, to try and gain an advantage and not, you know, it may not actually be accurate. So the courts have had to ask for, you know, evidence and not somebody just saying something. What kind of evidence? Like, you know, if you pick them up and they don't have a mask on and you take, you know, video with your phone or something, is that evidence? Yeah, that would be evidence. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes it's hard to get evidence, I guess. So, you know, it would also be what some what people are saying. What is your child telling you? Um, and, but, you know, if you can actually have something like a video showing, you know, masks, or if you know if they're having lots of people over and they're not complying with some of the social distancing restrictions, uh, you know, as as we've entered into phase three and things have eased up, um, it hasn't been as much of a problem as it was, you know, back in the earlier months of COVID where, you know, we were under a lockdown and sometimes parents weren't complying. Um, but, you know, we still have restrictions now and, and people people who work in particularly, um, you know, like sectors where like healthcare, for example, where they're more liable to be exposed to uh, sickness and the virus. Um, you know, sometimes there's been issues where a parent has argued that that parent shouldn't, you know, be able to see the children because they're more liable to be infected. And, that issue, you know, it's been resolved too. It's, it's generally, you know, viewed by the courts that it's better for children to have time with their parents and to honor the schedules unless there really is, you know, concrete examples of people not complying with the guidelines. Hmm. So, it, like, if the parents are trying to get evidence and they're not really getting it, what, like, at what ages would a judge say, okay, let's hear from the child? Like, is there a limitation on that? Um, well, the Ontario Children's Lawyer can always be appointed to, um, you know, speak to children of like a variety of ages and help a court determine what the child, you know, what the child is saying. Um, so, but as kids get more into their tweens and teens, that's, you know, more likely where a court would, would hear from them on different issues uh, when they're really young, you know, like basically elementary school age, I would say courts generally don't like to involve them in things. Mm-hmm. What if one parent is more able to provide homework support uh, for online learning? Should that affect the schedule or would that affect the schedule? Uh, that's one of the factors that courts are taking into account. Like, you know, for example, there w- there's a case where um, a child was in French immersion, and so the court looked at, you know, would a parent at home be able to support online learning if they don't speak French? Because, you know, that that's something that's going to be needed to help the child. So definitely, um, that's, I think, one of the reasons why the courts are leaning towards sending kids back to school is because there's, you know, not always the supports at home. Right. Mm. Now, what if... 
what can a parent do, let's say, if they're concerned that the other parent isn't taking proper safety precautions? Um, well, they can, like, they can bring it to their attention, and then if they don't change anything, there's always the option of bringing a motion to court, bringing, you know, if they're really concerned about it, about it in terms of that the child's safety is really going to be in jeopardy, they could bring an urgent motion, but otherwise they, you know, can can bring the matter to court and have a judge decide, uh, you know, whether the parent is. And, and again, what's sort of happening is if a parent wasn't maybe complying as strictly as they should, they're given an opportunity to correct that. And then if they do, you know, resume what the previous parenting schedule was. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many layers, like even if, if a parent has a job where there's a front, where if, you know, if they're a frontline worker or something, you know, like you have to consider all of that stuff and, and, you know, who are they interacting with and how are they interacting and what's the protocol where they work? Um, you know, there's just, it's so complicated. It is. It really is. And and that, that's the, the difficulty is that, you know, in family law, you're already dealing with people who don't get along, which is why they're, you know, getting a divorce. And so then you have all these complications and, you know, and people legitimately have different opinions on some of these issues. There, some, on some of them, there it's gray. There isn't necessarily a right or a wrong. And so it's, it's just lots of opportunities for conflict. What a mess again. Whoa. Let's talk about the rise of divorce during the pandemic. So while some relationships have strengthened during COVID, some have definitely taken a turn for the worse. And rumor has it that the stress of the pandemic has caused quite a few relationships to break down, therefore suggesting that the divorce rate will go up. Have you found this to be true in your practice, Leanne? Yes. I mean, I'm busier than ever. In regards to divorce, you're busier than ever? Uh, in regards to everything, and divorce is part of it. So I do, you know, I haven't seen the statistics, but just from my own personal experience, I would say that the, the divorce rate is going up as a result of COVID, and it and it has. And I, I think I heard in China that they actually had statistics, and I think New York City as well, where the statistics said that it had gone up. And as they say, certainly that's my personal experience here that it has been affected. Well, I personally know of three friends that are getting divorced because of COVID. Mm. Well, maybe oh, not because wow. of COVID, but yeah, during COVID, right? I don't right? think I know any. Really? Yeah, I, I don't know three. So. Well, someone called me this week. I was, like, alarmed. I'm like, really? I didn't see that one coming. One I found out about, like, three weeks ago, and the other one a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> it would have been building up, though, before COVID. Like, I yes. have friends that are divorcing, yes. but, uh, you know, it had you know, was well underway before COVID hit. And then I think COVID just took it over the edge. And I think both parties working from home. And if you think about it, a lot of families don't have the privilege of a large house where they can take space from one another. So now you have these two people who are being forced to spend all this time together who may not have had a great relationship prior to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. True. And then also the financial Mm-hmm. Like if people have lost their jobs or their, you know, their business has gone their under, then they're is, under yeah. more stress. So that, you know, can create more conflict in the home too. Yeah, I think the and financial how- thing is a big part of it too. Like even for some people, the CERB just isn't enough. Like it, it's just not covering everything. So they've had to well, really dip into $2,000 a month. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. How about... Um, people losing access to their in-person counseling or therapy that they have may 
maybe doing before with their partner before the pandemic. And then that was all shut down because we didn't know what was going on for what, three months? Like, For sure. I mean, I think, you know, some of that probably is able to be done over Zoom and, you know, Skype and things like that now. But, um, you know, initially there, there wasn't Some people aren't okay that. with that. Some people aren't yeah. okay. They're not on board with the whole Zoom Skype thing yet, right? It's kind of a yeah. new phenomenon, really. That's true. And it's not the same as being, you know, in front of somebody you know, versus, you know, be on a screen. It's definitely a very different interaction. So what advice would you give uh, or do you have for people who are thinking of leaving while the pandemic is still here? Um, I mean, the first thing I would always say is, are you safe? Because, you know, if you're in an abusive relationship and your safety is an issue, then you definitely should leave. You you don't want to fool around with that you want to make sure that you're safe but if it's just a situation that um you're you know it's not an abusive relationship but you're not happy then um you know i would say if it's always best to try and work work on your relationship and work it out but if you you know if it's not working and you're miserable then there's no reason not to leave during this time um you know especially now that we're out of the lockdown i mean that i think was more challenging for people but you know if you're if it's really intolerable and it's affecting the quality of your life then i don't think you need to wait until the pandemic is over because we don't even know when that's going to be i know when is that going to be yeah it's impossible to plan anything because like everything could lock down again in, you know, within a month. Yeah. Yeah, And you made a good point there, Leanne. I mean, I think if you want to keep your marriage alive and you think it's salvageable, which I'm sure some people do, I would try starting a conversation about how each of you is being affected by these unusual times and see if you can both align and come to an agreement that you'd both benefit from um, talking separately or together to a therapist online. Well, especially if you recognize that you're, again, in an unprecedented time, so maybe it's taken extra strain on your relationship or your marriage, but maybe, you know, now that things are getting easier with respect to, you know, we're not in lockdown and things like that, maybe there is more opportunity to learn from it and and then work on things and move forward. Or perhaps taking a break and maybe moving in with another family member for a little while just so that you can have a little bit of space and then have some time to think apart. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, So, yeah, uh, yeah, I do too. Um, Let's talk about the current status of the courts and the effect of of, of the closure on family law matters. Um, what's happening with that? Because the courts closed down at the beginning of COVID-19. I remember you were on the show and you were talking about that. So what's the status with that now? So the courts have been reopening, but they're not, you know, at the full capacity. So initially, as you probably recall, um, the courts were only hearing very urgent matters. There was very strict tests and criteria. Now a wider range of matters are being heard. It doesn't you can you know it doesn't have to be urgent, but a lot of the family law cases are still being heard uh, via teleconferencing and Zoom calls rather than people actually having to go to the courthouse in person and appear in court. Um, I think that they're moving in that direction, um, and you know I know in the criminal courts that they've been 
open and judges are wearing a mask and the lawyers are wearing a mask and, you know, all the parties in the courtroom are socially distanced and wearing masks. So, um, you know, the courts are starting to do more and more, but I, they are still relying a lot on the technology as well. So I'm sure you have experience with that. What does that look like, a courtroom on Zoom? It looks like the the Brady Bunch. You know, we kind of joke about (laughs) it. Everyone's in their little box. And um, it's been remarkably efficient, though. Like, it's actually, I found the teleconferencing and the Zoom calls, it's been much more efficient than actually going to court because you're given a specific time. You call in at that time. The judge is usually available, and you get right to the matter. Um, whereas in the past, you know, a client would have to pay you for your traveling time to drive to the courthouse. And then often things aren't heard on time and you're sitting around there half a day or all day. And again, the client is paying you for your time. So it's actually much more efficient and much more cost effective for clients uh, using the technology versus the in-person. I wonder if they'll continue with that going forward because the clients would love to not have to pay travel time for their lawyer and waiting around time for their lawyer. Maybe we're on to something. Hold that thought. thought. You're going to answer that when we come back. We need to go to break. We'll be right back. Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Tonight on the Dating and Relationship Show, Joan Kelly Walker and I, I'm Laura Bellotta, we're answering all your questions around family law like spousal and child support, parenting schedules, the effect of closure on family law matters, and so much more with family lawyer Leanne Townsend. Before the break, Joan, you were asking a question, and I cut you off. Yes. Sorry about that. Okay, well, thanks for circling back to this, because I think it's important, and it's really interesting right now with the whole COVID situation. Everyone is relying so heavily on technology, and a lot of cases, it's, it's really efficient. Like, Leanne, you were just saying that you call in at a certain time, you get to the judge right away, there's no travel time, there's no waiting time, so I'm not paying my lawyer to travel and wait and then we're waiting for the judge and all of that. So there seems to be a lot of efficiency around this. Do you think going forward that we're kind of onto something and maybe we'll, we'll carry this efficiency forward and start hearing more things over technology instead of in person? Definitely, I think that we're onto something and definitely I would like to see this stuff remain in place because it is far more efficient um, and, again, cost-effective for the clients. And it's funny because for years, um, the courts were saying, you know, it was, it was going to be too complicated and too difficult to use technology in this way. And then when COVID hit, they really had no choice but to quickly adapt to do something. And they were able to do so remarkably quickly. So, you know, I think that it would be good if this if we can continue to use this technology. And I think that we most likely will, Um, but there will be situations like trials and things like that, where it probably makes more sense to be, you know, in an actual courtroom where you can see the demeanor of witnesses more clearly uh, to assess their credibility and that sort of thing. Hmm. Do they do anything with a jury over Zoom? Oh, right. Um, No, they they didn't do jury. They shut down jury trials during like the lockdown and, and that period of COVID. And 
to be honest, I'm not sure yet whether they've resumed them or not. I'd have to check with some of my criminal lawyer colleagues who do jury trials. Um, so I'm not sure whether they've resumed those or not. Yeah, because you have to be in the same room to get like the nuances and the, you know, people's demeanor and their body language and all those other signals. Exactly. And if everyone's in a mask, I mean, that's a whole other thing. You know, if the witness is testifying in a mask or one of the parties is testifying in a mask, you can't see their facial expression. Whereas at least on Zoom, they don't have a mask on so you can see the facial expression and maybe get a better sense of their demeanor. But wouldn't Mm -hmm. they be able to take their mask off if they were socially distancing? Like, wouldn't they put that in play? Like, make they haven't yet. No one near them. No, they have to wear the mask when they're in court. So, uh, you know, maybe that's coming. But I, you know, it's like a restaurant, right? You have to. You you can eat your meal, but as soon as you get up to walk to the washroom or something, you have to put your mask on. But that's what I mean. When you're on the stand, you take your mask off, but then when you go back to your seat or you're walking around, you put it back on, right? Same. Mm -hmm. Even for the judge, like when the judge is saying something, like, you know, it's always said with such authority and importance. And if they're wearing a mask, I think you lose a layer of that instruction. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think you definitely do. And it's, you know, and it's uh, it's hard to, like, for everybody wearing a mask all day as well, you know, and uh, well, in the courtroom to have everybody in them. Yeah, the kids, I think it'll be interesting to see with schools how that plays out. But, yeah, I think you lose something in the courtroom by having people in masks. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't seen you ladies in about, what, five months now? I probably yeah. won't see you for another year. No. <laughs> Oh, no, <laughs> no, we should get together sometime. But anyways, okay, let's talk about the effect COVID-19 has on spousal and child support. So has, how has it affected um, child support and spousal support? Well, as I touched upon a little bit earlier, if pe- for people who've lost their jobs or lost their businesses as a result of COVID, their income has gone down. And so there's, you know, people out there who have not been able to meet their child or spousal support requirements that, you know, were in court orders or separation agreements. And so um, what I've been telling people who are in that situation is to try to negotiate something with their spouse. So, you know, if, if, if your spouse has lost their job and they genuinely can't, you know, pay what they were paying, I think that someone should be understanding of that and try and work with it. Um, but, you know, and if it's the other issue is whether it's a short term thing. So if somebody's, uh, you know, during lockdown, some people weren't able to work because of, you know, we were in the early stages of COVID. But then as we went into the different, you know, to phase two and phase three, people were back at work. And so if their income was down for a period of time, it was only for, you know, a couple of months. It wasn't a long term thing. So that's different than if somebody's business has gone under and their income, you know, is potentially dramatically changed for the long term. Um, And someone in that kind of situation may have to uh, uh, bring a motion to change the existing court order or the existing separation agreement in order to get the amounts that they they are required to pay reduced to a lower level. I can see a lot of people taking advantage of this situation and blaming covid and saying, you know, they can't, you know, they have to reduce their support or stop paying, making payments, blaming it on COVID. Meanwhile, COVID hasn't really affected their income. I'm sure we're seeing a lot of this. Leanne, do you see any of this? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there, there's certain people out there, right, who, you know, they'll always push push the buttons and they'll always try and find a way out. So, 
you know, again, COVID has given people like that an opportunity to try and, you know, play around with things. Um, but the courts, again, are, you know, they're looking at, at things and they're looking at the full picture and they can, you know, a judge can generally tell if that's what somebody's trying to do and, you know, ensure that it doesn't happen. So, um, you know, hopefully people aren't being too affected by that, but there's always going to be people who want to play games. And how yeah. long, like if, if you, if this is happening, right, and you want to uh, take this to court or whatever, like how long would it take for the judge to see something like this? Uh, well, it would take a while if it's opposed. You know, if, if the parties aren't in agreement that somebody's income has gone down and the order needs to change, it's it's like starting a new process. So, I mean, it could take a year or more to, you know, to finally get to an end result. I wonder if we'll ever get to the point where there's something like pandemic insurance or something that you can get to to cover. I don't suppose there's anything like that out there. Yeah, not that I'm aware of. Um, hopefully this is the only pandemic we're going to have yeah. in our life. But who knows? Uh, you know, certainly a year ago, I don't think any of us thought we'd be in the situation we're in right now. So uh, you have to be, you never know what's you know what You know what's really funny is, is there are those people that are skeptical about the pandemic and, and they don't think that COVID actually exists and they don't think it's a serious matter. They think, oh, it's just the flu. It's just the flu. It doesn't really exist. Yeah. Have you guys come yeah. across people like that? Because I do. I get so irritated with them. I'm like, it exists. Yeah. It's a real thing. We don't shut down an entire country just because. Yeah, I find that so offensive because, as you know, my mom is in, a, in an enriched yes. care program in a care facility, and I need to protect myself so that I can see her. And now that things are opening up, I have more access to her. And if someone is not following the rules at all, and I interact with them expecting that they have followed the rules and they haven't, then I am vulnerable, which makes my mom vulnerable. So that really, really upsets me and gets me really angry. And well, one of the things I've seen come up uh, is, you know, some people are really into these the conspiracy theories and some of that. And I've actually seen, you know, spouses claiming that their spouse isn't taking COVID seriously because they're they're posting social media posts about conspiracies and trying to use that as a way to yeah. gain an All advantage. These conspiracy theories going around. We need to take a break. We'll be right back. Listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta with Joan Kelly Walker, TV personality and philanthropist. Our special guest is family lawyer Leanne Townsend, partner at Browdy Thorning LLP. Okay, this is such a good show. Lots of great information for so many people. Thank you, Leanne, for joining us. Love having you on the show. Um, let's talk about the matrimonial home now. So for most couples, a matrimonial home is their largest asset. So how has COVID-19 affected divorcing couples' decisions surrounding selling their home? What are you seeing? Well, it's creating, again, a lot of uncertainty because people aren't sure, you know, is the market going to go up? Is the market going to go down? And so some people are deciding that they want to hold off on selling and, and then that's creating problems because they can't finalize 
uh, you know, separation agreements and things like that because they still own an asset together. And some people are in a hurry to sell because they think there's going to be, you know, a second wave of COVID and that's going to drive things down. And so they're pushing to act really, really quickly. So part of it's a guessing game by people as to what, you know, what they think is going to happen with the real estate market. And then they're acting accordingly. I think, well, I think it's a seller, definitely a seller's market right now. And I agree. I think it's going to crash in a little bit. What do you yeah, think? it's surprising how strong the market has been. Yes. Yeah. I've been very surprised because I think I've been hearing that the market, like over the summer, it did really, really well. And that did really surprise me because I just thought with all the uncertainty around COVID and potentially a second wave and everything, I, I you know, unless people were selling then because they thought there was going to be a second wave, I don't know. But it did surprise me. People are, are looking at houses online like they're not even going to see the house necessarily i can't imagine buying a house if i didn't I think actually they are now joan i think they are now oh are, good yeah the showings have started so what do you tell clients leanne who are divorcing and looking to sell their home like what are you telling them what's your advice I mean, I tell them not to try and time the market um, that, you know, because we never know what's going to happen. I mean, the way this year has gone, I know people joke there could be an alien invasion, you know, next month. So we we don't know. (laughs) Scaring me. (laughs) So I think, you know, people, they shouldn't try and time the market. They just need to make the decision that's best for them in their current situation. And if they are getting a divorce and they want to move forward, then I think they should go ahead and sell their house and and do that if you know if they're able to wait it out until it's a more certain time then you know that might be the right decision for them but it it depends on each person's unique set of circumstances Mm. um and there you know they they say that there have there has been an increase in ufo sightings since (laughs) covid19 (laughs) <laughs> I know maybe it's because people are losing it. <laughs> I think they said more people are actually looking up into the sky because <laughs> yeah. they don't have anything to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, ladies, Leanne, Joan, is there anything positive in the area? Well, this one's for Leanne. Is there anything positive in the area of family law that has come about because of COVID-19? Anything positive? I think there's been a couple positive things. Uh, one of them we touched upon already, which was yeah. that I think that, you know, the courts being more efficient and cost effective by mm-hmm. having the technology that we can use. So that's one positive thing. And then the other positive thing is that because the courts were closed for a while and, and then they've just gradually been starting to take more stuff, it's forced people to look at other options to just bringing their matter right into court and to try and work something out with their spouse and, and negotiate and, and, you know, and even consider alternative dispute resolutions like mediation and arbitration. And I think those are positive things too, because with a family, the last place people should end up is court. And so if COVID has made people, you know, have to try and work things out a little more than they might've in the past, I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. There are those lawyers, though, that really force court on you, right? Because they want to make money. That's just, I mean, I don't think you're one of those lawyers, but there are those lawyers out there. Well, and there's clients who, you know, they're just, they want to argue. They want to win. They want to argue. They want to get revenge. They're emotion-driven, and they want to go to court. You know, that sometimes fuels the fire, too, and then they get a lawyer who fuels it as well, and then it's, a really, you know, a bad combination that way. Yeah. So how do you see things looking in the future in family law? 
Well, I think we're going to keep some of the te- using the technology that we have been using. So I think that there's going to be a combination of, you know, in-person hearings at court for certain types of things in family law. And I think there'll be some use still for teleconferencing and Zoom calls, which I think is wonderful. Um, and I think, again, maybe there's going to be more use of alternative dispute resolution like mediation and just negotiation and arbitration uh, instead of having things go to court as much. Because there's going to be a backlog as well that's resulted from the courts being shut down. I totally agree. I think these are really positive things. And I think the more people can focus on anything that's positive coming out of this, I think the better off we will all be. Ladies, great show. Um, we need to end things now because it's over. So uh, where do we find you, Leanne? Uh, the best place to find all my contact information is on my website, which is www.leannetownsend.ca. And I'm on social media active there, but you, and you can find the links on my website. Joan? I am joankellywalker.com or on Instagram, joankellywalkerofficial. I'm Official Laura Bellot on Instagram, The Dating and Relationship Show on Instagram, and the dating industry is starting to get really busy again. If you're looking to meet someone new but not sure where to go or what to do, you can meet someone from the comfort of your own home. You can check out uh, the online speed dating events hosted by singleinthecity.ca. Just go to the website for a list of events near you. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Ciao for now.